Someone said that Christianity is the only religion that abounds in song. Aren't you thankful for the music? Aren't you thankful for the songs? They went on to say atheism is songless. Agnosticism has nothing to sing about. The various forms of idolatry are not tuneful. But Judaism said, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. And when Christ came, the angels greeted his birth with praise. And since then, Christian song has gained in fullness and strength of voice with each century. I'm so thankful for music. I'm thankful for Christian hymnody. I'm afraid that the church at large is in danger of losing the great hymns of the faith. Do you realize that? Why is that a danger? Well, because they've neglected the older for the newer. Now listen, hear me clearly. It's perfectly fine and proper to sing new music. In fact, we ought to sing new music. We do sing new music, but not at the expense of all the older music. We need to be very careful not to neglect our heritage. Pastor Robert J. Morgan in a Huffington Post article entitled, Let's Not Lose Our Old Hymns, wrote this. Listen to what he says. Don't get me wrong. I love contemporary Christian music, and we sing it at the church I pastor. It's important to keep our songs fresh and living, for if there's ever a generation of Christians that doesn't write its own music, Christianity is dead. Every generation needs to compose its own praise, but the popularity of today's praise and worship music is threatening to do something that hasn't happened in all of Christian history. What is that? Sweep away the heritage of hymnody that represents a treasure trove of praise for the church. There's never been a generation of Christians that sang only its own music while discarding all the songs of prior epics. And this isn't the time to begin the trend. Morgan went on to write this. Interwoven or blended worship is the standard operating procedure of church history. When the New Testament Christians develop the songs we see in the pages of New Testament, I don't think they stop singing the Psalms of David. When Ambrose created new music for his generation, they didn't discard hymns from the first and second centuries. When Isaac Watts wrote his newfangled hymns in the early 1700s, and by the way, in the 1700s they were newfangled hymns, the congregation still sang from the Psalter too. When Fanny Crosby gave us blessed assurance, the church didn't discard a mighty fortress or all hell the power. When I was growing up, we sang John W. Peterson's new songs alongside Holy, Holy, Holy. We added the new to the old and enjoyed both together. I like this next sentence he writes. Younger worshipers need the legacy of the great hymns. And older worshipers need the exuberance of fresh praise. That's the long and short of it. Disregarding 2,000 years of hymnody is irresponsible and if not corrected, irreversible. The old hymns are fading away like World War II veterans, passing from the scene a few each day. But if we lose the legacy of our past, we will have no foundation for the future. I have yet to find a more balanced approach to church music and hymnody and praise and worship than Robert Morgan's words in an article. And beloved, in addition to new music, that's why we still sing the old hymns here. 
And I hope we always will. A blending of fresh new praise with the old traditional hymns. And the reason I bring all that up today is because we're looking at a series again called Christmas carols. We're looking at some Christmas hymns. And today we're going to look at probably one of the oldest Christmas hymns or Christmas carols that is still sung today. In fact, the hymn we're going to look at today dates all the way back to the ninth century. And yet we're still singing it today. We've already heard it played and we will sing it at the conclusion of today's message. Now we're really continuing a series of messages we started last year. Around this time, we simply called it Christmas Carols, uh, His Story in Scripture and Song. And what I want to do is I want to build upon that. Uh, There's five messages from before, from last year. If you want to go back and get those, listen, help yourself. You can get them on CD or on the podcast or whatever. We're going to begin today with uh, Christmas Carols Part 2. And we're going to look at some more carols throughout this Christmas season. It's a little bit different than what we normally do. What we're doing is we're taking a Christmas song, a Christmas carol, a Christmas hymn, and we're looking at it and letting it drive us to the Scripture. So we're basing our message in the Word of God, but we're allowing the the carols to kind of guide our direction into the Bible. And it's really neat to watch how you find so much truth in these Christian hymns. And by the way, that's a mark of a good Christian song, isn't it? That it's true. That it drives to the truth of the Word of God, whether it's an older Christmas song or a newer Christmas song. And so we won't be looking at, you know, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer here this season, sorry. Uh, We won't be looking at Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. That one won't be uh, in this series. But some of those uh, Christmas carols you love hopefully will be. In fact, today's carol, someone has called it a condensed study of the Bible's view of the Messiah. A condensed study of the Bible's view of Messiah. And I've already, you already know what it is. We've already seen it in the bulletin, heard it played. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your hymn book out and open to page 76. And then on top of your hymn book, lay your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to keep both of those open before us today. And we're going to let the, the hymn, the Christmas carol, drive us to the Scripture. And while you're finding hymn number 76 in Matthew chapter 1, give me your ears. Let me give you a little research I I did and what I found out about this hymn. Now, in medieval Europe, in medieval Europe, there were cathedral services each evening leading up to Christmas Eve. And each service would begin with an antiphone that is a choral call to worship. We had a call to worship this morning. O come, O come, Emmanuel, by the bell choir. Now, there were seven great O antiphones. They all began with the Latin word Vini. I hope I'm saying that right for you Latin scholars. Vini, V-I-N-I, or is it Vini? I don't know. I think it's Vini. It means come. And it's followed by the Latin words for O Wisdom, O Lord, O Branch of Jesse, O Key of David, O Dayspring, O King of Nations, and O Emmanuel. And these choral prayers were rooted in Messianic titles. Used by the prophets in the Old Testament. That's why you see Dayspring and Branch of Jesse. And they were pleased for God to come. And that's how they begin those medieval services. Now the translation of the hymn we have before us this morning was not originally written in English. We forget that as Americans if we're honest, don't we? We think everybody speaks and talks like us. Especially in the South, everybody should talk and speak like us, right? But uh, we realize that that's not the case. And in fact, this Christmas carol was not. In fact, 
it was uh, translated from the Latin, which it was originally in, to the English, but that did not happen until the 19th century. So for many, 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 many years, this was not available to us in English. And it was done by Mr. John Neal. Now, John Neal was a humble but brilliant Anglican pastor and scholar. If you look at our hymnal on page 76 at the bottom, it attributes verses 1 and 2 to John Neal, and then 3 and 4 to Henry Sloan Coffin. I have no idea who he is, sorry. I don't know why it says that. But uh, Neal's translation was first published in England in the 1850s. And so we only have four verses here in our hymnal, as you see. But uh, when I studied this past week, I ran across eight verses uh, to this particular song. That's enough about the background. Let's dive into the song and then dive into the scripture. And you'll note that it expresses a longing for the Messiah to come. We're going to see as we read it, Jesus is described as Emmanuel, Dayspring, Wisdom, and Desire of Nations. I'm going to read it. If you'll follow along as I read, then we'll come back and talk about it. And then we'll let it drive us to the scriptures today. As you see what it says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and calls us in her ways to go. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. And of course, the refrain, the chorus, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Now let's go back, and I want to point out some main themes in this, um, in this song. Did you notice in verse 1, there's an emphasis on the deliverance and deity. Deliverance and deity. Look at it again. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, of course, means what? God with us. And ransom captive Israel. That is the idea of delivering them. And then it goes on to say in that, uh, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. So right away we have this plea for Emmanuel, God with us, this idea of deliverance and the idea of the deity of Jesus Christ. He's called the Son of God in verse 1. Then verse 2, there's a theme of victory, I think. Look at verse 2. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by that advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. You see the picture of night and darkness and death. But he's saying put all that aside. Put it to flight. Bring victorious over those things. And then in verse 3, there's a theme of wisdom and direction. In fact, he's called wisdom. O come thou wisdom from on high and order all things far and nigh. That idea of direction. Notice it continues. To us the path of knowledge show and calls us in her ways to go. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance, O Emmanuel. God, come and guide us. Come and teach us. Come and help us. And then in verse 4 is a beautiful picture of unity and peace. Is it not? O come, desire of nations come. Bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world 
with heaven's peace. A beautiful theme there in verse 4. When you think about what it's saying here, you cannot help but sing the chorus, can you? Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Now this song is expressing a desire for the Messiah to come. And it focuses mainly upon his first advent, his first coming. That is, as he stepped into humanity and became Emmanuel, God with us. Now, don't close up the hymn book there, but have you got your Bibles open to Matthew 1? We're going to begin reading at verse 18, and I want you to look along with me at verse 18. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18, these words. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. As his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will be and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now notice again verses 22 and 23, our text for today. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, beloved, this is not the first time we read about that in the Bible. In fact, even this passage points back to a previous uh, prophecy, right? The first time we read about it uh, is in the book of Isaiah, if you will, this particular uh, passage. 700 years before this took place, the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before it happened, Isaiah says specifically, here's what's going to happen. A virgin's going to bring forth a son and call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, anticipation plays a great deal uh, when it comes to Christmas, doesn't it? If I were to ask the boys and girls in here this morning, are you ready for Christmas? I bet you every one of them would say, yeah, I'm ready, man, bring it on. Anticipation plays a big part, right? And just as we're waiting for Christmas morning, Many, many years ago, there were others waiting for the promised Messiah, the Savior, Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the coming of Jesus was not a new creation, a new thought or a modern thought. It goes as far back as the foundation of the world. Did you know that? Jot this reference down and listen. Revelation uh, 13, 8. All who dwell on earth will worship him whose names have been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Think about that. In the eternal counsels of God, in the Trinity, as they commune together, they knew it would be necessary one day to send the Son of God, to send the Messiah, 
to redeem us, to ransom us, to take our place. And so realize this is not a new thought. Uh, It didn't originate with Isaiah. Uh, God knew about this before the foundation of the world. In fact, we understand from a human standpoint that the message of the gospel is as old as us. In fact, did you realize we find the gospel in the Garden of Eden? Did you know that? If you look in Genesis 3.15, it says that I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. We don't often talk about a woman's seed. Why? Because she's a virgin here. I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ coming and dying for us. The gospel in Genesis. You see, Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible. All of the Bible. He's the theme of the Old Testament. You say, really? Yeah. Luke 24, 27 says that Jesus did this. And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so Jesus is the theme of the Bible and the prophecies concerning his first coming are remarkable. In fact, he fulfilled every one of them long before it happened. It was revealed where he would be born. Now think about that. We can't even do that, can we? We could say, well, this, this baby's supposed to be born over in Stanley County, but they might be born on the Anson County line. We don't know. We have no control, do we? As much as we try. We tried to hold out till Easter of our last one, and you came on Good Friday, right? So, I mean, we have no control over that. But listen to what the prophet said. Micah 5, 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And think about all that would take place to make sure that came about. And it did, just as it was prophesied. We were told that he would come as a child. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, humanity. Unto us a son is given, deity. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And it happened just as it was prophesied. And here's something even more remarkable. We were told he'd be born to a virgin. Born to a virgin. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, the Savior was promised. The Messiah was coming and they were looking for the Messiah. And then onto the stage of human history steps the God man, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So think about that for a moment. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we know that God is above us, right? God is transcendent. He's above everything, all of his creation. God is above us for sure. I think all of us would admit that. But think about this. This says God with us. Why do we need God with us? What's the purpose of that? Why did he come in this fashion? Well, here's why, beloved. He had to become like us in order to redeem us. He had to to take upon himself flesh and blood and bone, a body like ours. And become that perfect man and perfect God joined to the flesh. Why? Because he was going to go to the cross and take our sin upon upon himself. Imagine such love that would would have in the father's heart to send the son. The Bible says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
He gave him to die and to suffer and to bleed and to be buried and praise the Lord rise again. Why? So that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. By the way, that's the world's greatest Christmas gift right there. Everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you've received that. And if not, I hope you'll receive it today. You see, God not only desired to be with us. Did you realize that God desires to be in us? That sounds weird to say it, doesn't it? God in us. Someone has said God is for us, that is good. God is with us, that is better. God is in us, that is best. Say, preacher, what word are you talking about, God in us? Well, the Bible says that when someone turns from their sin and places their faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in their life, in in them. You say, well, you have a Bible for that? I sure do. Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And listen to this. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not saved. Because every born again child of God has residing within them the Holy Spirit of God. Now, don't misunderstand. We don't become God. We don't even become little gods. We are still humans, but we have God dwelling within us. That'll blow your mind, won't it? Blows mine. The thing about the Holy Spirit of God taking up residence, not just a little piece of Him, but the Holy Spirit of God taking up residence in my life, in your life. And all who know Jesus Christ have God not only for them and with them, but in them. Think about that. God is for us. God is with us. God is in us. Rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel. But there's something else that's very interesting in this. The main part is about his first coming. But as I studied this hymn, when I came to verse 4, unless I'm mistaken, and we don't know who wrote it, so I can't go back and ask them. They're dead anyway. But uh, unless I'm wrong, I see a hint of his second coming. Look at it again. Oh, come... Desire of nations bind. All peoples in one heart and mind. Now watch this next part. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Now unless I'm mistaken, I see a picture of a second coming in that verse. And what I'm saying is this. There are those long ago who were looking for his first coming... And beloved, we who know him today, we're looking forward to his second coming. Isaiah talked about that, didn't he? In his prophecy, Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward evermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, he's coming to rule. He's coming to reign on the very throne of David. Isaiah talked about that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Listen to Luke 21, verses 25 to 28. And there will be signs of the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, man's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. 
Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. I read this in my Bible in John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, ye may be also. I read this in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, but we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as He is pure. Beloved, Jesus is coming again. Some of you don't believe that. He's coming again. And just as they look for his first coming, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We're looking for his second coming. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. God with us. Come, King Jesus. Desire of nations. And bind all people in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. There have been many, many peace treaties signed throughout the history of mankind. They're still signing them today. Beloved, there will not be true peace until Jesus comes again. He is peace. He will rule with a rod of iron. And there's so much to his second coming. We cannot go into all that. But I think I say a hint of it here in verse 4. And I wonder today, are you ready for his second coming? Are you ready for Jesus coming again? We know he'll step out first and we'll go and meet him in the air. The rapture, those who know him will be caught up with him. Those who are dead in Christ will burst forth from the grave and they'll be with him. And then while we're in heaven enjoying that time with him, all hell will be breaking loose on earth during a tribulation time. Then at the end of seven years, we understand scripture. Jesus will come and step foot upon the earth and set up his kingdom and rule and reign in an eternal kingdom. Are you ready for his second coming? Do you know Jesus Christ today? Are you looking for him? He says this in the next to the last verse in the Bible. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. And I think that the end of that verse fits so well with the words we sing in this hymn. Don't you? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And he says, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. The next part of that verse in Revelation twenty two twenty says this. And we close with it today. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Would you bow in prayer with me today? Can you confidently say, beloved, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Are you looking for his second coming? Are you ready if the rapture were to take place today? If not, you can be. If you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing this hymn in a moment. And when we do, I would invite you to come. Let me know you'd like to receive Christ as Savior. And I'll place you with someone who loves you and loves Jesus. Take a Bible and share Christ with you and lead you to salvation today. Are you ready? Do you know for sure? Do you know for sure? And then for those of us who know him as Savior and Lord, I wonder, is he ruling over every area of your life at the moment? He is King Jesus. He is Lord, Savior, Master. And we should submit every area of our life to him. 
Is there anything that you would be doing you'd be ashamed of if he were to come back today? Is there anything in your life you'd be ashamed of? Today, get that right with him. Come confess that, forsake it, repent of it. And leave here with a clean heart, clean hands, with expectancy, saying, even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm looking for you. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Father, we thank you for those who have the talent and the gift to write these beautiful Christian songs that we enjoy and are blessed by singing. We thank you for the truth that we find in them. And Lord, this particular hymn has driven us to your word today and reminded us that you are with us. Lord, I thank you that you're for us, that you're with us, and you're in us as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take charge of this invitation time. If there's anyone here who does not know you, I pray today will be the day they turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Give them courage and boldness to step out from where they are and allow someone to sit down and share Jesus with them. And then for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would examine our hearts today. Show if there's anything in our life that would be displeasing to you, that we'd be ashamed of when you return again. Lord, may we repent of that and confess and forsake it. Take charge now this time. Get glory to yourself. Your will be done for your honor and your glory. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. You already have that closing hymn open. We're going to sing it together, and I hope you'll sing it with greater understanding and greater faith. But the altar is open today, and I would invite you to come. If you need to be saved today, just come and say, Preacher, I want to be saved. I'm just going to take you to a place with someone who loves you, loves Jesus, and they'll take a Bible and lead you to Jesus. Just that simple. But for many of us, this message today is maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart about some area that's not right. Would you come and get it right today? Come and kneel and repent, forsake, confess it, and leave here ready to serve him. 76, let's stand and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And you come as we sing.
Appreciate that.